everybody. Welcome back to Crime and Coffee. I'm Allison. And I'm Mike. And we're glad to have you back here. Yeah, hey, we've had uh, some some decent success here just launching, uh, what, a week ago or two weeks ago now? Maybe? Yeah, time kind of just slips by. So I think it's been about less than two weeks. Yeah, yeah. So we've got um, yeah, a good amount of downloads. We're over active on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you can find us at Crime and Coffee 2 because somebody took Crime and Coffee and uh, is just sitting on it. Um, I think two different people on two different platforms. Maybe they have some big plans. Yeah, maybe they do. Who knows? And who are we to take that? from them i don't know but all i know is i'm thankful you're here and um we're gonna just kind of dive right into it right unless you have something that's been going on this when, week when you say you're thankful i'm here is it just me oh oh yeah um that's who you're talking to right not the rest of the audience that's act- actively listening to this podcast no mike i am thankful that you are here with me yeah no i'm uh you know i'm a little bummed our uh, chicago white Sox lost in the playoffs yesterday they're out. Um, so the Tampa Bay Rays. So yeah. you know that that's all done and you know whatever. Um, wah, wah. Um, it is Packer Week. You know I've got some things on my mind and specifically around sports. I want the Bears to beat the Packers this Sunday. I'm sure our um, listeners are dropping off like flies at this point. <laughs> so thanks for that. <laughs> oh, this is not a sports podcast. It is not. Oh, okay. They yeah. don't give a shit about right. the Chicago Bears, Mike. Right. Hey, I'm well, just going to let you in on a little secret. I'm just trying to tell you what's on my mind. You know, currently. You know what was on my mind? What? How different men and women's like beauty and bedtime routines are. Yeah. Yeah, because you and I were just getting ready this morning to start the podcast, which my morning routine is a lot more pared down than my nighttime routine. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of bullshit that women have or don't have to, but that we fall into these things of having to do these lotions and potions and like i don't see you putting serums all over your face and no using a special nighttime hand cream and all that good stuff well you know i'm not being marketed to on a daily basis saying that i'm not good enough like women are yeah i've uh you know you and i've talked about that before where it's just you're constantly being told you're not good enough but if you buy this product you'll get better and if you buy this product you're not going to be as ugly as fast (laughs) and if you buy this product you're going to look yeah you're going to fool people yeah, and the other thing I think about is if I walked into like a plastic surgeon, it, he'd probably like rip me apart and tell me I needed five things done, and I'm only 42 years old. Well, yeah, he'd have suggestions because that's how he makes money. I know. It's just kind of funny. And like, you're sitting there. It's like you're in, you're in his sales seat, basically, being like, what do you think, Doc? Anything? Well, he's like, well, yeah, well, we can lift this and lift this and move this over here. You know, that, that's what he's going to do. That's just what... But, well, that's how he makes money. Exactly. And you're there for a reason. So, yeah. yeah. I'm in the age of Botox. You know, it's I'm in my 40s. This is when women really start to go and get those plumpers put in. I think 40s is really good for women. I think 50s is even pretty good for women. Well, don't make a cutoff where that once I'm 60, I'm going to think that you've, you think I'm ugly. No, no. I'm going to love you for what's inside. Okay. And definitely. Because I, I thought outside. you were going to say, and once you hit your 60s, it's all downhill. Well, I didn't want to say it. But yeah, don't. Okay. Don't. This yeah. way, when I turn 60, I won't feel like, you know, no. an old hag. Well, I'm going to love everything that's that you're all about. That's what it is. Well, thanks, Mike. Yeah. And I wore a, a polo shirt for you, so I dressed up today. You did. Yeah. It's a nice little red uh, Northern Illinois polo shirt. Oddly enough, we're both wearing Northern Illinois University shirts. Wow. Yeah. yeah. We weird. didn't even plan that. We didn't phone each other last night and plan it. We are alumnus, alumni. We didn't sleep together, though. Hey. What are doing? you talking about? Well, we slept in the same bed. Oh, we did. Yeah. Oh, okay. You actually thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
so, yeah. I was looking on Instagram and they showed a picture of a double king bed. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, we need that. <laughs> we need to be as far apart <laughs> as possible just because it's just I want to be able to put my arm out and not touch. anything. Oh, I can't touch you when I reach my arm out. Yeah, I was ar- trying to wake you up the other morning. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, where the hell is he? <laughs> we are not cuddlers when we sleep. Not at all. Yeah. I'm in the camp of don't fucking touch me. Yeah, it's like game time. <laughs> it's like, all right. This we're just going to stay on our sides. Well, once I get in bed for sleep, I just want to sleep. Kind of like a tennis match. Like if we had a net between, it would be totally fine. It would be. Yeah. Even if it was like a brick wall. Yeah, we still love each other. We do love each other. I'm just not a cuddler when I want to sleep. Right. I'm very serious about my sleep. I need it. Yeah, because you might see a movie where uh, we always joke where like the husband comes home and is like, hey, babe, good morning. Or, hey, I'm home. Just so you know, you'd be like, what the fuck? I was sleeping. What are you doing? <laughs> if you came home and like kissed me and woke me up, I would slit your damn throat. I know. And that's why it's so funny when I'm like out or I, you know, go out for some whatever reason. I'm like, all right, I'll wake you up when I get home because I know you like that. You're like, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> well, when you go out with your guy friends like say it's during the week you might not come home till midnight my alarm is set for 4 15 in the morning yeah i want you to be home and safe and all that good stuff but don't don't wake me up or even like you know some little little play you know um, yeah daddy comes home daddy oh yeah it's usually a business trip daddy has some needs <laughs> daddy yeah and then you're like nope nope <laughs> you're such those needs creep. will be taken care of at a different time <laughs> exactly this is not the time right this is the time for sleep right right well uh i think you're uh, you're up this week yes I, I am up this week and i'm just gonna go ahead and get started and i'm gonna let you know that there's no other way to describe this story but despicably horrible hmm. that's just yeah i think we're gonna have that uh as a constant no basically. this no? one really this okay. one's this one's really bad okay and it definitely deserves some trigger warnings there's child Um, abuse jeez louise yeah this one was rough to research i was definitely on the brink of tears several times reading it you just can't imagine what a human is capable of doing Mm -hmm. or humans i should say and in fact as i go on this i thought of lord of the flies a lot with this oh jeez i don't did you read that when you were in school yeah yeah piggy and all that yeah just how it's kind of like the hitler thing like how you can't imagine how somebody can have their mind changed and do things and follow people yeah like charles manson he had the people that followed him yeah and they started doing crimes for him yeah Yeah. so it's the the yeah the human mind can really be fucked up like if you you let it go a little bit and then you know, it's, yeah, like the people that you think are totally fine and like would never do something heinous, like they, they get in the wrong situation and all of a sudden it's, yeah, the human brain can really screw you. Yeah, and you, you think you're stronger than that, but then some people just follow through and go follow somebody. Yeah, well, I'm interested to hear what this is all about. Okay, so this is the heartbreaking story of the murder and torture of Sylvia Likens. It took place in Indianapolis, Indiana in October of 1965. Um, The 16-year-old girl was tortured and beaten over a three-month period by at least 10 people. So, there's where, like, you talk about the Lord of the Flies. 10 people, huh? Yeah, 10 people were, Mm. if not more, were involved in this. What was her name? Sylvia Likens. Sylvia Likens. And this case has been called the most terrible crime ever committed in the state of Indiana. Mm -hmm. Um, Indianapolis Police Department homicide chief and 35-year officer was quoted saying that this was the most sadistic act I ever came across. Mm. And, you know, he'd been in the force for 35 years. So Mm. that's going to give you a little hint as to where we're headed. Yeah. 
So Sylvia Marie Likens was born on January 3rd, 1949. She was the third child of five. She was born between two sets of fraternal twins. I can't imagine having two sets of twins. That's just crazy. Yeah. But um, oh, she was a twin also. No, she was the non-twin oh, in the middle. Got it. Yeah. In the middle of the two sets. So her older siblings, um, well, quickly, her parents are Lester and Betty Likens. So her older twins, um, they were two years older than her, were Diana and Daniel. And then the younger set of twins were one year younger than Sylvia. And they were, this is kind of funny, Jenny and Benny. Oh, I love it. That's cute. So Jenny suffered from a notable limp. Um, she had polio. She That's wore, exactly what I thought. <laughs> like this really? Time, like probably polio. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. She wore a silver brace on one leg. Mm. Um, Sylvia, she loved to roller skate, listen to the Beatles, my kind of gal. Her nickname was Cookie, and she tried to earn money for the family. She would babysit, run errands, iron for people and neighbors, you know, neighbors and friends. A lot of nicknames like that back in the day. Cookie, Bubbles, Midge. Yeah, Cookie is adorable. Yeah. Um, so Sylvia's parents, they struggled. Um, their marriage was rocky, unstable. They moved a lot. Um, it was, I read that they had lived in 19 separate addresses with their kids between 1949 Holy cow, no and 1965. Mil- no military or anything no, like that? No, no. but moving, huh? Well, their, their job may have had a role in that. They weren't in the military, though. Um, so her father, he only had an eighth grade education. So, you know, they didn't make a lot of money. They kind of struggled there. But um, Betty and Lester traveled with the carnival. Um, so maybe that's, that's why they it. moved a yep. lot. Yep. Um, they basically sold concessions with the carnival. They would sell, you know, beer and candy and, and drinks and things like that. Um, oftentimes this was going on while the kids were in school. So they would take the boys with them, but leave the girls behind. I don't know why the boys' education wasn't a top priority, but they left the girls at home so that they could focus on their school. Maybe they figured they could become carnies. Uh, I don't know. Teach them to trade. But um, oftentimes, Sylvia would and Jenny would be left with like their grandparents in particular. Their uh, older sister, Diana, I guess she got married young. She was married and out of the house by 18. So she was kind of out of the picture there. Um, so, you know, they were always looking for somebody to be able to watch the two girls, Jenny and Sylvia. Mm-hmm. So to just give you a little bit more of a description of Sylvia, she had lost a front tooth roughhousing with one of her brothers playing around. So oftentimes when you see pictures of her, she's not smiling with her teeth. She keeps her, her mouth closed to conceal it. Um, she was very protective of her sister, Jenny. They would go roller skating together because Sylvia loved roller skating so much. And she would help Jenny around the rink, um, you know, because she had the one bad leg with the brace. She'd put the skate on the good leg and Sylvia would help pull her out on the rink, which I thought That's was adorable because nice. I used to roller skate a lot when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So, um, unfortunately, we're moving into how she got to know her torturer. So um, it's June of 1965. Sylvia and Jenny, they're living with their parents in Indianapolis. On July 3rd, 1965, Sylvia's mother ended up getting arrested for shoplifting. She was sent to jail. And in this time, her dad, Lester, is needing to be on the road with the carnival and looking for a place for Jenny and Sylvia to be. I'm not sure why they weren't automatically going back to the grandparents, but Jenny and Sylvia had gotten to know a couple of classmates from high school. Um, They went to Arsenal Technical High School, and they met Stephanie and Paula Banaszewski. I'm going to pronounce their last name, Banaszewski. I heard that a lot. I also heard Banachewski, 
but I'm just going to say Banaszewski. Let's say uh, Banaszewski is probably the uh, Polish yes. version of it, and then Banaszewski is probably the American exactly. version. Exactly. Like, I remember my, my grandma's last name was Lewandowski, and when I was older, she's like, yeah, um, we used to pronounce it Lewin- Lewandowski. Mm-hmm. I was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, well, have I been saying it wrong? Being Chicagoans, we have a lot of uh, experience with the Polish names. Yeah, a lot of Polish. Uh, at one point, uh, Chicago had more polish people than any other city outside of warsaw it's interesting that people just ended up migrating there yeah they're like hey hey uh newspaper in poland says go to chicago go to chicago go to where it's freezing freezing cold let's go (laughs) um so jenny just to back up again jenny and um sylvia had met stephanie and paula banaszewski at their high school um they kind of became acquainted friendly with them and lester their father had made an agreement with the Stephanie and Paula's mom, Gertrude, to watch Jenny and Sylvia, and in return, he would pay her $20 a week for their boarding and care. Wow, that's pretty good. I mean, decent money back then. Yeah. yeah. And Gertrude had promised to take care of Sylvia and Jenny as if they were her own. So now giving you a little bit about Gertrude, she was born on September 19th, 1928. She was born in Indianapolis uh, to a working class family. She was the third of six children. Um, sadly, when she was only maybe like six years old or so, um, or ma- no, maybe it was closer to 11. She, on October 5th, 1939, her father died of a heart attack right in front of her, which is, you know, terribly tragic. Yeah. Um, several years later, age 16, she dropped out of high school. She married John Stephen Banaszewski. He was 18. They had four children together. I guess he was pretty violent and abusive to her. They divorced after 10 years of marriage. Um, and only weeks later, she married Edward Guthrie. He was also abusive, and they divorced after only three months of marriage. They never had any children together. Um, obviously, they Not were only very. married. Well, I guess she could have gotten pregnant, but it was a very short stint. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Gertrude then went back to John. They remarried and had two more children together. So now they have six children together, and then they divorced for a second time in 1963. Wow. Yeah. So, weeks after her third divorce, Gertrude met 22-year-old Dennis Lee Wright, and they had a son together, Dennis Jr. So, now it's 1965. She has seven children. She never married Dennis. Um, So, they're all John's kids? No, one of them is Dennis. Okay. So, six children are from John, and and one is from Dennis. Um, And you know what? I lied. She did marry... Edward Guthrie. I don't know if I said she did. Yeah, they were married three months. Yeah, they were married for three months, but she never did marry Dennis. Okay. But they did have a child together. Got it. Uh, Dennis was not an attentive father. He kind of skipped out of town, never paid child support. So now at this point in time, Gertrude is 36 years old. She's a single mother to seven children. She's chain smoking, living in squalor at 3850 East New York Street in Indianapolis. How do you just skip out and not pay child support on I don't, a kid? I don't know how the hell you do that. Man, if you're somebody that doesn't pay child support, you're a real scumbag. Yeah, but just so you know. plenty of people do it, sadly. Yeah. Um, so she's living in Indianapolis, paying about $55 a month for her home. Just to give you a little picture of what she looks like, she's about five foot six, weighs only a hundred pounds. Not a little one. Yeah, she's very thin. She has been described as haggard, underweight, asthmatic. Yeah, hey, if there's something I want people to remember me as, it's haggard. Yeah, people often commented that she looked 
older than she actually was. Yeah, that's kind of what we were talking about in the beginning of the show here. These lotions and potions. Yeah, maybe she should have had some lotions and potions. <laughs> um, she was said to be suffering from terrible depression and taking heavy doses of prescription drugs. Uh, um, their house was kind of the neighborhood hangout house because she was very lax with the children. They were basically able to do whatever the hell they wanted when they were in her home. So, of course, they gravitated there. They were able to have sex talks, uh, smoke, smoke yep. drink even. Sure. Um, and Gertrude would earn money by charging neighbors a few dollars for their ironing, kind of like Sylvia had earned money. So she didn't make very much money to have seven children, right. basically. Yeah. So now we're... Um, Going into right after the 4th of July holiday, Sylvia and Jenny moved into the Banaszewski home shortly after the holiday. And at this point, Gertrude's kids were Paula, who was 17, Stephanie is 15, John is 12, Maria is 11, Shirley is 10, James is 8, and Dennis, the baby, is only several months old. Mm -hmm. So she's got a lot of kids in this house, and now she's bringing in two more. Wow. Yeah. So... Lester, Sylvia, and Jenny's father, they knew that Gertrude was, or he knew Gertrude was poor. He didn't want to pry into, you know, her business or the condition of her home. Um, but he did encourage Gertrude to straighten his daughters out. Basically, if they got out of line, put them back in line. I'm you, can, a, you can hit them, do whatever you want. Yeah. So Lester had never set foot into Gertrude's home before leaving his two daughters in her care. Had he done so, he may have noticed that there was no way Gertrude was capable of taking care of two more children. The house was not equipped. From what I understood, there was really no stove or oven there. There was just like a hot plate in the kitchen. It, It was literally squalor. So, um, Sylvia and Jenny are sharing a room with 11-year-old Marie and 10-year-old Shirley. And I wonder eight- how she made like food for the kids every day. I don't know how they, how... they probably just, like, you know, gathered from anywhere, you know? Probably went and got stuff at friends' houses, came back, and, you know, whatever. Yeah, because even food. before Sylvia and Jenny came into the home, there were eight of them. Right. So, I mean, eight, feeding eight mouths is an incredible feat. Yeah. So I'm not entirely sure how she was able to. Lots of cans of beans, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. And who knows at that time if like the schools gave free lunches and things like that. I'm not sure. Yeah. But um, so Sylvia and Jenny are sharing a room with 11-year-old Marie, 10-year-old Shirley, 8-year-old Jimmy. And there was only one mattress in the room. So five kids had to take turns sleeping on it. Jeez. So really awful conditions. Yeah. So all was well during the first two weeks of their stay. Jenny and Sylvia were treated fairly well. Uh, Sylvia would often do chores around the house to help and step up kind of to cover Jenny because Jenny wasn't, you know, she had the brace on her leg. It wasn't as easy as her. So she kind of helped out doing enough for the both of them. Um, Jenny and Sylvia would attend church and Sunday school with the family. Um, Two weeks into their stay is when the downturn happened. Apparently, Lester's check failed to arrive on their prearranged date. And this just sent Gertrude into a tizzy. So she now was turning her rage onto Sylvia and Jenny. So they became the target of it. She beat their bare butts with a paddle and shouted, I took care of you two little bitches for nothing. And the, and lo and behold, the money would end up coming like a day or two later. So mm-hmm. it's not like he wasn't sending the checks. They were just taking a little bit longer than the exact date that he had set. Well, it's not the kid's fault either. Of course, that, that's it's not, not what uh, that's not what Lester meant when he said, "You know, go ahead and no, straighten him out." I do not think that's what Lester meant. Um, so, 
In late August of 1965, both girls were beaten 15 times with a paddle after Paula, um, Gertrude's oldest daughter, who's 17, had accused them of eating too much food at the church supper. So basically anything is setting it off at this point. Yeah. So you're like living in basically just, you know, being scared and sitting there trying not to do anything. Right. And even if you don't do anything bad, something's going to happen. Right. So so soon Gertrude was abusing Sylvia and Jenny, even in broad daylight. She wasn't hiding it. Mm -hmm. So being frail and thin herself, she didn't have a whole lot of strength. Sure. Um, She did suffer from asthma and she was a terrible smoker. So, you know, I'm sure she was often short of breath. So she would, her weapons of choice was typically a heavy paddle and a thick leather belt. I heard the belt came from one of the ex-husbands who had been in the police force. It was like his police belt. Um, when she became too tired, she would bring in her daughter, Paula, the oldest, to help. The enforcer? Yeah. So it was said that Paula and Sylvia often butted heads. You know, they're similar ages. Sylvia's 16, Paula's 17. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, Paula hit Sylvia so hard that it actually broke her wrist. Jeez. Yeah. So now she's having a cast in place. Well, it's nice and hard. So this is a perfect weapon. So now yeah. she's using her cast as a weapon against I'm Sylvia. Su- I'm surprised they uh, took her to the doctor. I know. You'd think they'd want to hide it or whatever, mm-hmm. or just not get care, but they did. So by mid-August 1965, Sylvia is now becoming the main target of the abuse rather than Jenny. Was she smaller or something? Or? No, I think the thing was is that Jenny um, had polio, polio, so maybe they kind of felt sorry for her. Mm-hmm. Also, I don't know if I mentioned earlier, I don't think I did. Jenny was more reserved, quiet, Sylvia was more outspoken, confident, Hmm. you know, less likely to just sit back and be quiet. Okay. So I don't know if that had something to do with it. The other thing that was speculated was just pure jealousy. You know, um, Gertrude is 36 years old with seven children. She's all emaciated, whatever. Her daughter, Paula, is overweight and incidentally three months pregnant. So she's probably looking at Sylvia, who's similar age to her and feels jealous of her. So that may have been part of the target of the rage. Yeah. And I was going to ask the size difference. So Paula's a, a big old girl and i mean i saw pictures of her she wasn't like insanely large or anything but you know i'm sure she didn't have the best self-esteem and she's taking her anger out on sylvia right so um jenny would be told to join in on the abuse or be threatened to be abused herself so i don't know how often she was forced to take part in hurting her own sister but it was just a shit show and then the other Banaszewski kids were also encouraged to join in. They were basically using Sylvia as a practice dummy for their karate. They would slam Sylvia into walls and to the floor, and her skin would oftentimes be used as an ashtray. They would throw her down the basement stairs. They would rub salt into the skin they had cut open, and then they would force her to take scalding hot baths, maybe this was Gertrude, to cleanse her of her sins. So this is what you were talking about when it's like, um, you know, the mom starts it and then has her oldest daughter, Paula, kind of start doing some stuff. And, and then Paula was a very willing participant. Right. Like, this girl's evil. Yeah, yeah. But then, like, you got some other friends and stuff coming over and be like, hey, this is what we do to this girl. We put cigarettes on her and then you can do whatever you want. Isn't that Go insane? Go ahead, punch her. Like, nobody even cares. That you would... I don't think there's any circumstance that I would lay a finger on a person. How did none of these children say, this is fucked? Right. I'm going home and telling my parents. Well, because they're kids and they're, you know, kids have, you know, stupid 
they're they're not stupid. They're just not you know fully mature. So well, they see like a couple. They're of taking friends. the adults too. Right. Cue. Right. And it's like, oh, this is okay. Yeah, let's do it. Well, I don't think just, this is another human being, which is really what what the thought process should be. Right. But it's just like, oh, okay, cool. And they don't think of repercussions or anything like that. It's like, oh, I'm just going to punch this girl. Yeah, it's it's so awful. Ugh. So Gertrude would grab Sylvia's hair. She one time had put her in the scalding hot bath. She repeatedly struck her head against the side of the bathtub to revive her when she was fainting. Hmm. Um, on one occasion in late August, Sylvia mentioned that she had a boyfriend. She was just casually telling them that I guess they had lived in California that spring and she had met a boy um, and Gertrude had asked Sylvia if she had ever done anything with the boy. Sylvia didn't understand even what she's like talking about. And she's like, yeah, I did. She's basically saying, I guess so. She said they had gone skating. They went to the beach. They went to the park with some other boys and Jenny. Have you ever done anything? Yeah. Like we talked and we went to places and yeah, sure. We talked and yeah, went, went to eat some food. Yeah. Plenty of things. Right. Because she's innocent. You know, she's... 16 she she hadn't done anything with them hey when i was dating you at 16 you weren't very innocent yes i was okay lies sylvia had continued to talk to stephanie and jenny in the room mentioning that she had laid under the covers with her boyfriend gertrude asked her why she did that and sylvia said i don't know and shrugged several days later gertrude commented that sylvia was getting big in the stomach and looked as if she was going to have a baby soon So, you know, she's implying she's pregnant. Mm -hmm. So Sylvia thought that Gertrude was joking and just, you know, flippantly commented, yeah, it sure is getting big. I'm just going to have to go on a diet. Gertrude then informed Sylvia and the rest of the girls in the house that whenever they did something with a boy, they would be sure to have a baby. Gertrude then kicked Sylvia in the vagina and Paula participated by knocking Sylvia off of a chair to the kitchen floor saying, you ain't fit to sit in a chair. So, um, ironically, though, this is happening while 17-year-old Paula is three months pregnant from a married man. Right. Yet they're abusing and kicking Sylvia because she laid under the covers with a boy. That's so crazy. Yeah. And then I guess during this time, the um, I think Stephanie is 15, the sister. She would try to come to Sylvia's defense. She would try to remove items that were being used as weapons against Sylvia. Mm-hmm. Um, Sylvia would oftentimes, food was a big source of abuse. Um, she would be starved. Other times she would be force fed. Um, at one occasion, um, some force of the- fed? So starved and force fed. Well, in one particular story, there was a neighborhood boy named Randy Gordon. He helped Gertrude and Paula force feed Sylvia a hot dog. I guess they had just loaded it up with condiments, you know, ketchup, mustard. They mixed all sorts of spices in there. And then they they forced her to eat it, which caused her to vomit. And then they forced her to eat that. Oh, gosh. Just pure cruelty so and torture. Just like, hey, you can do anything to this thing. Yes. Don't consider it a human. Exactly. Hmm. Nobody would do this to any animal on the street, let alone a human being. Yeah. It's it's sick. So oftentimes due to starvation and desperation, Sylvia would be eating food that was, you know, well past its spoil point just to, you know, basically survival. Um, So now it's back towards like the fall time and school's resuming, Um, I guess. You know, maybe as a form of retaliation, I I think this ended up being true, that Sylvia had spread some rumors around the school that Paula and Stephanie were prostitutes. I love it. (laughs) So even though Stephanie helped her sometimes? Yeah, I'm sure maybe it wasn't all fun and games there with Stephanie. 
Um, but I guess Stephanie had ended up being jokingly propositioned by a boy, like, hey, I'll take you up on that. Yeah. How um, much? How exactly, much, sweetheart? Yeah. Hey, yeah, what do you say? A couple, maybe a, maybe a fin? <laughs> um, so when they returned home after school that day, Stephanie confronted Sylvia, who did admit that she said this. Um, so Stephanie punched Sylvia in the stomach. When Stephanie's boyfriend, Coy Hubbard, heard about these rumors, he attacked Sylvia. He slapped her. He banged her head on the wall. He flipped her backwards to the floor. And then other neighborhood kids would also join in. And Gertrude was said to have charged the neighborhood kids five cents to beat, scald, burn, and mutilate Sylvia. Mm. So uh, she's using this now as a form of income. Then you get the most fucked up kids that are like, hey, if you just give her a nickel, you can do whatever you want to this girl. Yep. Ugh. Um, at one point, uh, there's a father of a neighborhood boy. His name was Michael John Monroe. He had placed an anonymous call to the high school to report a girl with open sores across her entire body uh, living in the Banaszewski home. Sylvia hadn't attended school in several days, so one of the school nurses visited the home to investigate the claims. Gertrude told the nurse that Sylvia had run away from her home the previous week and she was unaware of her whereabouts, claiming that Sylvia was out of control and the sores on her body were a result of Sylvia refusing to maintain her personal hygiene. She was um, telling the nurse that Sylvia was a bad influence to her own children and her own sister. Um, Jenny and the nurse made no further investigation concerning Sylvia's welfare from there basically took Gertrude's story and you know did nothing about it probably looked at the other kids and like well yeah what, what is she just beating this one kid and like yeah that sounds crazy no and you know the other kids seem fine and fed and whatever so forget it yeah I'm sure she's fine yeah so the point I guess too is that it wasn't that this was being unnoticed. People were seeing what was going on. I'm curious about the dad. So he just like never came and saw his kids. Well, we'll we'll kind of we'll get, get more that, about sure. that. Yeah. And then I guess the next door neighbors, Raymond and Phyllis Vermillion, initially considered that Gertrude was an ideal caregiver. I'm not entirely sure how you could possibly see that. Um, a, an ideal caregiver to Sylvia and Jenny. They had visited the house twice during Jenny and Sylvia's stay. On both visits, the neighbors had observed that Paula was physically abusing Sylvia and noticed that Sylvia had a black eye during this time. Paula openly bragged about her abuse. Like, she wasn't even trying to hide it. And they still said Gertrude's a good caregiver. Yes. And on their Makes second sense. visit, they noted that Sylvia had a somewhat zombified appearance, yet they never reported a thing to authorities. Jeez. So here you go to answer your question. Sylvia and Jenny's parents, when the carnival would be on break or kind of coming back to town, whatever, they would come and visit. Um, I don't know how their visits looked. I don't know if they came into the home. I'm not entirely sure what happened. You would think so to see your own fucking kids that come into the home and, you know, maybe have dinner. I, <laughs> I mean, these are your kids, right? Right. So. And, you know, this is a split level home. So there's a basement, there's a main living area on the the first floor and then upstairs is where the bedrooms were so maybe they couldn't see the state of the bedrooms and that yeah. there was only one mattress on the floor right you know perhaps the living room and stuff like that had a couch and there was not much to see so maybe they didn't even realize how bad the situation was but the point is that the abuse was never made known to 
the parents. I'm sure they all said, if you say anything, your parents, it's going to be even worse. Exactly. And I don't know if maybe Sylvia had on long sleeves when they would visit so that they couldn't see the burns and the marks and things like that. But Gertrude would always be present in the room when the parents were visiting. So, you know, nothing was said. And the girls did not seem to be in distress when their parents were visiting. So Mm. nothing was done. Mm. So apparently after one of their last visits, if not the last visit in late August, when they had left, Gertrude turned to Sylvia taunting her saying, what are you going to do now, Sylvia? Now they're gone. It's just so cruel. Yeah, screwing with her. Poor Sylvia. She must have just felt so desperate, you know? And at this point, obviously, she has no chance in life. No. So in September... Um, Jenny and Sylvia just happened to encounter their older sister, Diana, at a local park, and they did actually confide in her about the abuse that had been going on. They added that specifically the abuse was happening to Sylvia, and somehow Diana chalked it up to the girls exaggerating. Apparently, Lester would sometimes turn to like a belt or something like that when they were disciplining, when he was disciplining the kids. So I don't know if they thought like, oh, yeah, okay. I'm sure you maybe got spanked with a belt and you're just making this so much worse than it actually is. Yeah. But regardless, Diana did nothing. But a side thing that I had read was that Diana was somewhat estranged from the family. I don't know what somewhat estranged means, but the parents, I guess, had forbidden her to contact the two younger sisters. So there wasn't some kind of close connection. No. So I think maybe that was part of the reason. Like I, when I first read that, I'm like, what the fuck kind of sister hears that their, her sisters are being abused and does nothing about it. Yeah. They're reaching out to her and basically saying help. And she's like, nah, you're fine. Don't worry. Yeah. And I can't imagine at that time that Sylvia didn't have marks all over herself. Yeah. But um, then around October 1st, I guess Diana somehow got the address because she wasn't privy to the address of where they were staying. Mm -hmm. But somehow Diana got the address. She visited the Banaszewski home, but Gertrude had refused to allow her to come in, saying that she received permission from the parents to not allow her to see Sylvia and Jenny. Well, that's a red flag. Yeah. Well, I guess that maybe was true. That the parents did say, hey, if Diana ever comes around, don't let her in. So yeah. it, it may be accurate that Gertrude was telling the truth. Yeah. Um. So then she, Gertrude ordered Diana off the property. And just about two weeks later, Diana happened to bump into Jenny separately, asked about Sylvia's well-being, and Jenny replied, I can't tell you or I'm going to get into trouble. Hmm. It's like, well, there's a red flag. Right. Something's not right. Well, at least Anna, Diana tried to... Yeah, investigate a little bit. Yeah, I was happy to hear that she had come back to the house. So then um, the last day that Sylvia was allowed to attend school was October 6th. Apparently, she hadn't given the girls... Sylvia didn't have money to pay for her gym uniform. Sure. So she ended up taking a spare one, and Gertrude found out about this, and that was the end of school. She pulled her out of school. So um, just a spare one from the school. I yeah, I don't, I don't know if she like stole it or you know how there right. was a box of uniforms. Yeah, yeah, I'd pull from that every once in a while. I didn't. Uh, yeah, it smelled because I don't think they Ugh. did the, <laughs> the laundry all week. So gross. I would. I think one time in my entire high school career did I have to use that. I had to do it but once a quarter maybe, <laughs> and uh, you know exactly where to go. And it was kind of the the box of shame because the uniform was always really small and came really high up in my legs and everything. Just skin tight, like yeah. a little pack sausage. Yeah, yeah. Got you. The kids could see your balls and t- yeah, dick. yeah. At that point, my balls dropped you know, well into puberty. <laughs> Oh, and you would think that would encourage you not to forget your gym uniform. Yeah, I knew there was an extra. It was fine. Yeah. It smelled like 
dirty water, but yeah. hey. Um, so apparently Gertrude called the school and told them that Sylvia no longer had interest in attending. I don't know, maybe back and in 1965, like, oh, okay. that was... Well, it's it's funny. Like, I'm viewing this as being, like, forever ago. But 65, you know, things are kind of going by them. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like 1930s or no, anything. No, no. Yeah. So that's... Uh, yeah, she's not going to be coming anymore. Uh, okay, sounds good. All right, uh, we'll take her off our list. See one you last later. Kid. Yeah, thanks a lot. I guess, I guess, you know, a lot of people did drop out of high school then and yeah. just kind of started working she probably just made up some story like yeah she's she'll be working at a factory yada yada exactly and jenny continued to attend school but this is kind of where things just really kind of got out of control apparently sylvia was sent to live in the basement more often you know this is getting into october this is in indiana it's cold it's an unfinished basement. It's not a pretty place to be. Not that any place in the house was probably a pretty place to be, but this was even worse. Um, you know, the the abuse is definitely ramping up at this time. So Coy, Stephanie's boyfriend, w- was becoming a primary attacker at this point, um, basically slamming Sylvia into the concrete floor, tying her up for days. And again, school kids are coming over. They're participating in these beatings. They're taking Gertrude's lead a lot of the time and following her instructions. Mm-hmm. They would practice their judo on her. They, again, with the lit cigarettes extinguished on her body. Um, and then Jenny had also received a beating during this time. I guess, you know, they're very short of money. They don't have the things they need. And I guess Jenny had borrowed a shoe for her good foot that she used in gym class and... Gertrude did not like that. So just anything. So literally anything looking for any, any kind of reason. Any kind of reason if exactly none at all she was going to beat them Maybe especially Gertrude, Sylvia. Gertrude's like, "Well, it makes me look like I'm poor, so yep. you're making me look bad." That's what I was thinking too. Go. Yeah. And and also it probably made Gertrude feel better to see other people doing the same things she was wanting to do to the girls and be like, "Oh yeah, watch, you can do it. You know, put put out your cigarette. Oh, do you take any classes? You want to try to try out the moves on her? Go ahead." She and you know care. how boys are always wanting to wrestle and like do their karate skills and stuff like that. Sure. I mean, Sylvia is now their their punching bag. Oh man. And it, you see a couple friends do it and then it just becomes, I guess, yeah, I don't I can't even ever 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 see that. That's so horrible. I I I just think of this poor helpless girl and i i don't even know how she was able to stand at this point i picture gertrude being like she doesn't even care go ahead watch uh, yeah hey sylvia you care if anybody does anything and then she just doesn't say anything and then it's like see she's fine go ahead yeah that's just absolutely disgusting yeah and of course you know jenny is going to school at this time but she's not reporting anything out of pure fear she's of course terrified and doesn't know what to do it'll probably be worse if you say anything just like you hear a lot of victims yeah told exactly and um you know the beatings are getting so bad to sylvia that she was gradually becoming incontinent and unable to really hold her urine and really she's banished to the basement there's not a bathroom down there so i don't even know what the circumstances were with that but regardless she was basically being forced to wet herself well plus you get to a point where it's like who gives a shit i'm just gonna crap myself and pee myself because who like what's life worth right anymore? you're in the lowest of the low place that i can't comprehend yeah you know mentally how she must have be, been feeling at this time um she was often kept naked and deprived of food and water i mean to to take a 16 year old girl strip her naked in front of the neighborhood is like the ultimate humiliation yeah 
and then to be tortured on top of all of this. It's just, it's, it's sick and well, it makes me want to throw up. I see this going towards uh, selling her as well for sex and everything. You know that? I don't think that ever happened. Really? No. And I can totally see this Kai guy going for that. Koi. Koi, I, I was thinking the same thing. I don't know if it was because he was with Stephanie that that didn't happen. I'm I'm actually was thinking the same thing that I was shocked that thank God it didn't get to that. I, well, mean, it do, I mean, it doesn't end well regardless. But. Yeah, there's no there's nothing. <laughs> there's no thinking anything here at this point. And, you know, Sylvia is basically starving at this point. I guess one occasion it was October 22nd. The son, John Jr., he had tormented Sylvia. He offered a, her a bowl of soup, then like snatched it right away from her before she could eat it. And Sylvia is now suffering from severe malnutrition at this point. Mm-hmm. You got to think like, uh, you know, suicide is probably entering her brain every day. Who knows what must be going through her poor head. Life's getting worse and worse the more she lives. Drastically worse. And Sylvia had cried to Jenny saying, I know you don't want me to die, but I'm going to die. I can tell. I mean, this girl knew that the end was going to be there. I'm a 16-year-old girl. You're not getting fed. You're getting beaten more. And broken down mentally, too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the starvation, the deprivation, being naked and abused, you're you're broken down to nothing. Yeah. So as Sylvia continued to deteriorate, she was even having problems moving her limbs. Gertrude would somehow then let her sleep on the mattress upstairs. I guess some part of her dark, disgusting heart had a little compassion for her, and she would let her come back up to the bedroom. How kind. So I guess one night, Jen, or Sylvia secretly whispered to Jenny to sneak her a glass of water. And the following morning, discovering that Sylvia had wet herself, Gertrude forced her to strip naked and insert an empty Coke bottle into her vag- vagina. So obviously Gertrude doesn't know there's urethras and vaginas. Yeah, exactly. Stupid dumbass. Um, and she had her do this in front of the other children and then again banished her to the basement. <clears throat> Shortly after, Sylvia was told to return to the kitchen and again ordered to strip naked. Gertrude said, You have branded my daughters and now I'm going to brand you. She began to carve the words, I am a prostitute and proud of it, into Sylvia's abdomen with a heated needle. Gertrude. That's a lot of letters. It's a lot of letters. And, of course, Gertrude is weak and debilitated and didn't want to finish the job. So she passed the needle over to 14-year-old neighbor Richard Hobbs, who finished the job. I guess they were just heat the needle and carve letters. And they didn't even know how to spell the word prostitute, these children. So sweet of Gertrude. She guided them and spelled it out for them. So... um, during this process of putting these words into her her stomach, Gertrude had taken Jenny to a nearby grocery store. Hobbs finished the etching as Sylvia clenched her teeth and moaned. Hobbs and 10-year-old Shirley Banaszewski then led, led Sylvia back down to the basement where they used an anchor in attempt to brand and burn the letter S. It was like an S hook into mm-hmm. um, her left breast or like right beneath it. But, you know, their children, I they don't know what they're doing. Instead of the letter S, they put the number three onto her skin. They burned her skin. Mm-hmm. It was just disgusting. 
Um, Gertrude later said, what are you going to do now, Sylvia? You can't get married now because now she's got these words carved into her stomach. She's got this number three under her breast. They're mutilating her. Basically doing everything they can besides killing her. Yes. And just seeing how long she can last. Exactly. Man alive. So she's taunting her saying, well, now you can't get married. And Sylvia just whimpered. I guess there's nothing I can do. Oh, it's so sad. Um, later that day, Gertrude forced, forced Sylvia to display the carving to the neighborhood children on her stomach, saying that she received the inscription at a sex party, that that's where it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so now the next day, Gertrude is forcing Sylvia to write a letter. It said, Dear Mr. and Mrs. Likens, I went with a gang of boys, which I don't know why she's inscribing at Mr. and Mrs. Likens if it's to her parents. Yeah. But um, I went with a gang of boys in the middle of the night and they said that they would pay me and I would give them something. So I got in the car and they all got what they wanted. And when they got finished, they beat me up and left sores all over my face and all over my body. They also put this on my stomach. I am a prostitute and I am proud of it. I have done just about everything I could to make Gertie mad and cause Gertie more money than she's got. I've tore up a new mattress and peed on it. She didn't even spell the word peed right. It was it's just so sad. Um, oh, you saw the letter? Yeah. I have also cost Gertie doctor bills that she really can't pay and made Gertie a nervous wreck and all of her kids. And then John tied Sylvia's wrist to the basement railing where her feet were basically barely touching the ground and she's like dangling from her wrists. And then he force-fed her crackers that she didn't want And she's so dehydrated at this point that she can't even swallow the crackers he's force-feeding her. And he's punching her in the stomach as she's trying to choke down these crackers. And in this process, he also forced her to eat the contents of his baby brother, Denny's diaper. My God, man. Like, Like, where does it end? Exactly. The, like, absolute torture. So now John John's the neighbor kid, right? No, John Jr. is their son. Son, okay. And he, looking back at this, is um, I don't know where I put their ages. He's not old. Let's just put it that way. I thought you said like ten or something. John was twelve. Twelve. So right about our son's age. Yeah. And and he's doing these awful things. So on October twenty fifth, Sylvia overheard Gertrude and her kids making plans to dump her body in the woods. So she knows, like. It's coming to an end here. Um, Sylvia tried to run, but with her injuries and weakness, Gertrude caught her, dragged her inside, and tried to feed her toast. Like, oh, that's going to help. Here's some toast. Yeah. Severely dehydrated, she didn't even have the strength to eat. Gertrude struck Sylvia in the face with a curtain rod with such force that the rod bent into right angles. At this point, Coy Hubbard's at the house. He takes the curtain rod from Gertrude and strikes Sylvia one last time, rendering her unconscious. Gertrude then drags Sylvia back down to the basement. And that evening, Sylvia came to again, and she desperately tried to alert the neighbors. She was screaming for help, hitting the walls of the basement with a spade. Apparently, a next-door neighbor had informed the police that she heard commotion from the basement, but since the noise suddenly ceased at 3 a.m., she did no informing of the police. On the morning of October 26, Sylvia's speech was garbled. She was no longer really able to control her limbs. Gertrude brought her to the kitchen, propped her back against a wall, and attempted to feed her a donut and a glass of milk. 
Sylvia is so in such bad shape. She can't hold the glass of milk to her lips. This angers Gertrude and Gertrude then threw her to the floor in frustration and returned her to the basement. Jeez. Um, Sylvia became delirious at this point, really only able to mumble and moan. Paula asked her to recite the alphabet, though Sylvia could only recite the first four letters. Paula verbally threatened her to stand up or she would inflict a long jump on her. A long jump? Which really, I think she meant she was just going to run and just jump on her. Yeah. Um, I mean, let this be, hope anybody listening to anything, like if, uh, if you're being abused and you know things are getting worse they're gonna get even worse so go to somebody or tell people and i know they tried i know she tried and you know i think sometimes too with abuse it becomes such a like a gradual process yeah you just get used to it you just get used to it and you get so isolated that you have you feel like you have nobody to turn to yeah because you probably try a couple times and all you have is nobody really believing you and like the police would have been such a good then who knows if you know Gertrude knew the police and it's like oh no it's fine no yeah. I don't think she did yeah. she wasn't any kind of powerful person in town yeah um so Sylvia then defecated on herself and Gertrude demanded that Sylvia clean herself the girl can't she even can't speak yeah. she can't move and she's being screamed at to clean herself um so that afternoon a group of Sylvia's tormentors gathered around her Sylvia, a group of her tormentors. Yeah. Like, who has a group of tormentors? That's insane. Well, Gertrude's little posse from the neighborhood. So Sylvia attempted to point at them and say their names. I mean, she's in such bad shape. She's just literally trying to even pronounce their names at this point. Sure. And when, mentally, I mean, she's physically and mentally just broken down completely. Yeah, I mean, at this point, she's been hit in the head repeatedly with a curtain rod. So who knows what kind of brain damage she's got. Gertrude had said, or when she reached Gertrude, she said, you're Gertie. And Gertie or Gertrude responded by saying, shut up. You know who I am. She was then given a pear to eat, which she was unable to bite into as her teeth were too loose from the beatings. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're just knocking her teeth out. John Jr. later sprayed Sylvia with a hose. He dragged the hose in from outside um, I guess Richard Hobbs, one of the neighbor boys that I, he was the one that helped with the carving of the, I am a prostitute and I am proud of it. Yeah. Um, so he helped bring in the hose and, um, they were just spraying her down by Gertrude's instructions to clean Sylvia. So yeah, really, really kind. Mm-hmm. She then again, desperately tried to escape the basement, but collapsed before she was able to reach the stairs. Gertrude then stomped on Sylvia's head. At 5.30 p.m., Richard Hobbs returned to the house and headed to the basement where he slipped on water. Of course, they'd been spraying her with a hose and landed heavily to the floor. There he saw Stephanie crying and holding Sylvia's beaten, emaciated body after she had been ordered by her mother to clean Sylvia. So Stephanie, so Stephanie's crying. Stephanie is crying. I think she's realizing that this is this shit's like gotten ridiculously far. Oh, and now now is when you start crying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Stephanie and Richard gave Sylvia a warm soapy bath and dressed her in new clothes. They laid her on a mattress in one of the bedrooms and um it's this is so sad. Sylvia muttered her last wish that daddy was here. Isn't that awful? Oh god, that makes me want to cry. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, hey, I wish daddy would have done something earlier and not put her in the hands of everything. She's just, you know, you go back to being a kid and you're just like, I just wish things were were like they were when we were younger. Yeah, you know? so sad. Instead of me being beaten down every day and 
ruined. And I guess she had muttered that she wished that Stephanie would take her home. You know, it's like, what do you want when you're at like the point of break? You just want to go home. Yeah. And she hasn't had a home in years. Well, at this point, you know, she wasn't living with her parents since August or yeah. no, July. It's it's crazy. Like this seems like it'd be over the span of 10 years, but this is all in. This happened over the course of like three months. That's insane. And I guess because um, Sylvia was now able to speak and, and mutter these words, Stephanie is thinking, oh, she's going to be fine. And when Stephanie realized now that Sylvia was no longer breathing, she attempted to resuscitate her with mouth to mouth. While this was happening, Gertrude is shouting, faker, faker, as she strikes Sylvia's body with a book. Like at the bitter end, this nasty woman continued. Mm -hmm. So, God, we might have to pause this. All right. And we're back. Um, so, oh, sorry. Uh, so it's it's tough being a mom and also being a human. And you know you're you're one that gets comfort out of your own mother and yeah. stuff. You know sometimes if you're sick, you're, you're just like I just want my mom. You know you go yeah. back to home and then you know it's comfort. Well, and, I mean when I was away at college, I was 18 years old and my parents had moved to Florida and I'm in Illinois and I'm scared. You know I'm away from my family for the first time. I'm in this new environment with all new people and I know that feeling and I wasn't being tortured that's i think the hard part this poor girl had like everything happened to her that should have never happened yeah she didn't nobody deserves that. nobody does i mean no animal would deserve this i I don't know how humans could be capable it's it's something to keep in mind you know when you think like you'll never be like that or yeah humans can be definitely pushed towards some weird shit if uh if given the the wrong opportunity yeah so now finally this evil woman is realizing that sylvia is indeed dead she instructs the neighbor richard hobbs to call the police from a payphone and they arrive at 6 30 p.m and discover sylvia's mutilated frail emaciated body lying on a soiled mattress in one of the bedrooms Gertrude handed the police officers the letter that she had forced Sylvia to write and told them that she tried her best to take care of Sylvia, saying that she was a troubled child who ran away with a group of unknown boys and became sexually active with them. And um, the thing is, is that the officers could see that these sores all over her body were in such various um, stages of healing that, yeah, right. Yeah. So anyway. They've seen some stuff. They've seen some shit. And this is... Uh yeah, highly irregular. Exactly. And she's telling the officers, I tried to doctor Sylvia for an hour or more before she died. Paula stood, this nasty bitch, in the room with a Bible in her hand, saying that Sylvia's death was, quote, meant to happen. No, bitch. She's a 16-year-old girl who was previously healthy. You did of, this. A lot of bad people hide behind the Bible and they think that they're okay. And then then, she turns to Jenny and says, if you want to live with us, we'll treat you like our own sister. (laughs) So thankfully, um, well, initially Jenny is reciting the versions that Gertrude had forced her to recite, but thankfully she was able to catch one of the officer's eyes and she whispered, if you get me out of here, I will tell you everything. Nice. So she um, gave God gave her statement to the police and thereafter Gertrude Paula Stephanie and John Jr. were arrested on the suspicion of Sylvia's murder within hours of the discovery of her body awesome and then that same day Coy Hubbard and Richard Hobbs were also arrested and all were held without bail pending the trial Um, Gertrude initially denied everything she denied having any involvement um, 
she was basically trying to pin it on all the neighborhood kids. Yeah, and on her own daughter, I'm sure. Exactly. And, on her own kids, not even just her daughter, but yeah. she did definitely pin Paula oh, on. Paula was the ringleader. Yeah, she yes. was the one. I tried to stop her. And I mean, really, truly, Paula was like one of the main tormentors of Sylvia. Well, yeah, but you're the mother of the house and you need to put some, and yeah, you know, she saw after her mom did it. So, and I'm sure that Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. No. They both got some sadistic pleasure out of this. So on October 27th, um, Gertrude confessed to having known that the kids, in quotes, specifically Paula and her boyfriend, well, not Paula's boyfriend, Stephanie's boyfriend, Coy Hubbard, had inflicted abuse on Sylvia, stating that Paula did most of the damage and Coy Hubbard did a lot of the beatings. Gertrude admitted that she forced Sylvia to sleep in the basement on three occasions after she had wet the bed. So that's the extent of what she's accepting. So here's my my thought. Um, Paula and stephanie you know they're screwed up because they're gertrude's daughter you know so now should they obviously they should have never done any of this stuff but you know they're under gertrude's thumb and she's going to make them do some of these beatings and stuff then you got this guy coy that comes in and like starts to beat the shit out of uh sylvia like that that guy what a like fucking loser like what how do you come in and just start like beating the shit out of a human being and a woman? Like, uh, I mean, well, she was anybody. probably, and you know, Sylvia wasn't a, a big person, so no. Koi is obviously much bigger and stronger than her. Right, right. That, I, ugh, I, I mean, I'm really angry at all these people. Obviously, Gertrude especially, but I don't, I can't even begin to wrap my mind around why Koi would go as far as he did. I don't know why any of them did though. And, um, you know, when Gertrude is saying she forced Sylvia on three occasions to sleep in the basement because she wet herself, the officer just turns to her and says she probably wet the bed from mental distress and injury to her kidneys. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck? So during this whole thing, Paula showed absolutely no remorse. And we will put the picture on Instagram of Paula's mugshot. She has this disgusting little smirk on her fucking face that I'd like to like slap off if you could see this picture it's it's just awful she's literally smirking we'll put it on uh, instagram twitter um and she admitted in a signed statement that she had repeatedly beaten sylvia about the backside with her mother's police belt once breaking her wrist on sylvia's jaw and she had pushed her down the stairs two or three times and inflicted her a black eye John Jr. admitted to spanking Sylvia on one occasion, though most of the times I used my fists, is what he tells them. Just matter of fact. Um, well, that's the, it was regular. It was normal in this house. Yep. He admitted to burning Sylvia with matches on several occasions and added that his mother had repeatedly burned Sylvia with cigarettes. Um, five other child, neighborhood children who had participated in the abuse, Michael Monroe... Randy Lepper, Darlene McGuire, Judy Duke, and Anna Sisko had all been arrested by October 29th. All were charged with causing injury to a person and each released back home with their parents and subpoenaed to appear as witnesses in the upcoming trial. Um, Man, these... and So these are kids, you know, impressionable kids, and I'm sure, yeah, not all young, young, but... Yeah, you know, it's that group thing. 
where it's like, hey, come on over. This is fun. There you go. You're like, no way. They don't have a girl here that they're beating the shit out of. And you just want to go to see just, you know, just by you're like, what? And then it's like, yeah, watch here. Go ahead. Bunger. Well, and two, you know, Sylvia's or I mean, I'm sorry, Gertrude's home was frequented by lots of neighborhood kids. Yeah. Again, they, this is where they could come. Do whatever you and want. And just do whatever the hell they wanted, to, you know, to do. So I'm sure these were kids that were often over at the home anyway. Even though Gertrude's the one telling Sylvia she's a bag of shit. For exactly. Being with a, a, having a boyfriend. And yeah doing fun things oh yeah and and you know you want to get down on these kids at all just you know had the the gall to go over there and burn a cigarette on her and it's like you know not that it's acceptable but it's like kids see other kids doing stuff and they do they make bad decisions i'm sure like you know there's probably books that came out from these people from it you know they're going to try to take advantage of being in that situation try to make some money and I'm sure they feel horrible. I'm positive. I should hope so. If not, then they need to you know, get checked. Um, I'm sure they have some mental issues from being a part of this whole thing. Yeah. And, and like maybe they don't even know who they were. And they're like, how the hell did, was I capable of that? You know, I would love to hear yeah, from some maybe. of these people now. Um, and I would just, can you imagine the parents finding out that they participated in this? No. And you'd feel so let down. Like my daughter, my son, like did these things. You were in on this? How could you? And then almost like you couldn't not be mad and just be like, what happened? Like, what did I do to make make you think this is that okay? That this would be okay. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, were all of these kids abused in life that they thought that this was acceptable? I, impossible. It's impossible that every no, single kid was abused enough. I wouldn't think so. But Sylvia's autopsy just is horrific it showed 150 wounds over her body it showed that she was extremely emaciated at the time of her death the wounds were in various stages of healing like i mentioned before and various severity levels she had severe bruising burns extensive muscle and nerve damage her vaginal cavity was nearly swollen shut yet her hymen was still intact you know gertrude had been accusing her of sleeping around and being pregnant she hadn't even slept with anybody in her life so the vaginal cavity probably from the coke bottle yeah the coke bottle the kickings who who even knows oh god um and then, i'm surprised her hymen made it through all this stuff too yeah know? with like the coke bottle and stuff like that yeah so all of her fingernails had been broken and bent backwards most of the external layers of her skin on her face neck breasts and right knee had been peeled off her lips were so badly bitten that parts of it were severed from her face. It was likely when she was in such distress, she was just gnawing on her lips. Oh, well, yeah. And also when she was getting tattooed or branded. Mm-hmm. That's right. extreme pain. Getting burned fucking sucks. And cut at the same time, you know. Yeah. It's, I mean, and she probably didn't have the the ability to scream. You know, they, you said she moaned. I was so surprised when you said she moaned. It's like, you know, most people would be screaming bloody murder. Mm-hmm. Getting burned sucks. It's horrible. So, and just imagine all these letters being put on her. I like, know. And there's pictures of it online. That's just so awful. And there's so much pain that she's probably bit through her lip and yeah, they don't even notice. Gosh. So her official cause of death was listed as a subdural hematoma, which is, you know, like basically bleeding of the brain. Damage. The brain. It's like between the brain and your skull. It's yeah. like bruised right? Um, from a blow to her right temple. Of course, they were beating her with a curtain rod. I'm sure that's what did that. Um, contributory factors included shock from prolonged damage to her skin and subcutaneous tissue and severe malnutrition. When found by police, Sylvia's body was in rigor mortis that indicated she had likely been dead for up to eight hours before she was found. Gertrude had indicated that as soon as she saw that she was dead, she had, you know, the call boy the call yeah. the police. That likely was not true. They're 
trying to resuscitate her so they wouldn't get in trouble. Yeah. And her body, again, was noted to be recently bathed, possibly even after death, which would not surprise me at all. Right. Um, you know, they probably make it look good. Oh, let's clean her up. Let's put her in fresh clothes. Yeah. Um, and this could have, um, increased the loss of body temperature that sped up the process of rigor mortis. So they're not entirely sure at what point she had passed away. Um, so Sylvia's funeral was held on October 29th. More than a hundred mourners were in attendance. Her headstone is just simply inscribed with the words, our darling daughter. Actually, the word daughter is not even fully spelled out on the headstone, um, in June 2001, a six-foot granite memorial was formally dedicated to Sylvia um, in Willard Park in Indianapolis. It's transcribed with the words, This memorial is in memory of a young child who died a tragic death. As a result, laws changed and awareness increased. This is a commitment to our children that the Indianapolis Police Department is working to make this a safe city for our children. Sylvia's death is credited to starting Indiana's mandatory reporter law. This law states that should a member of the public suspect child a child is suffering from abuse or neglect, that this citizen is obligated to report this to authorities. And then there's also been, um, it's, it's called Sylvia's Child Advocacy Center. It was started in 2010 in Lebanon, Indiana, but officially they renamed it this in 2016. I guess in 2010 it was named Boone County Child Advocacy Center, but they changed it to dedicate it to Sylvia. And then this was basically formed to assist child victims that are, you know, experiencing abuse and neglect, a place to go for for help. Mm-hmm. So at least something came out of her death that they changed some laws because I guess nobody was held accountable. You know, even if the next door neighbor knew that this was happening and didn't report it, they were not, you know, penalized for that. Well, yeah, and they don't want to be part of the whole thing. And, you know. But this law says that this can't happen. Yeah. If you I, know something, you say it. I wonder if that helps at all. It's I kinda, don't know. Yeah. It's not the way that legislation should be used, I don't think. But, I mean, it's definitely a good thing to you know, make it mandatory to tell people like you're it's almost like you're part of it once you know yes that's exactly what it is yeah so, and it is it's true if you if a kid tells you they're being abused and you don't tell anybody else about it then you're part of the problem yes. you're essentially an extension of the abuse exactly because you're able to help and you're not you're doing so, nothing and i i was hoping you would say some things would be done especially being the worst you know abuse crime in indiana history um, you would hope there'd, there'd be like scholarships to, you know, carry her name and things. And, and I'm sure, you know, in like you got emotional reading about it. Anybody who's anybody would be emotional learning about this story and it would inspire you almost to make things better for future children that, and there's kids in similar situations. Yeah. You know? Sadly enough, there, there is. Yeah. Um, so on December 30th, 1965, the jury returned first-degree murder indictments against Gertrude and two of her three oldest children, Paula and John Jr., as well as Richard Hobbs and Coy Hubbard. All were charged with having repeatedly struck, beaten, kicked, and inflicted fatal injuries to Sylvia with premeditated malice. Stephanie had been released from custody due to insufficient evidence of fatal injury charges against her. She agreed to testify against her family and others accused of Sylvia's murder. So she got off a little better because she can you know, make sure they go, go away. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, Gertrude, Paula, and John Jr. were deemed mentally competent to stand trial, and the trial began on April 18, 1966. Gertrude pled not guilty by reason of insanity. Um, oh, she's just trying to get out of it. Yeah, of course she is. So Deputy Coroner Charles Ellis was the first to testify on April 29th regarding the intense pain Sylvia had suffered, suffered and that she had been in an acute state of shock between two to three days prior to her death and was likely unable to offer much resistance to the treatment that she had been subjected to in her final hours. He indicated that despite the trauma inside and around her genitals, her body showed no signs of direct sexual molestation i can't believe that but i mean i know but thankfully it's not like yeah it it doesn't really matter like it's it's all horrible that would have been even worse yeah i even i mean is there an even worse yeah being raped is something more yeah on may 2nd and 3rd jenny testified against all five defendants describing the emotional and physical abuse that her sister um had endured of course you know jenny i had read did get some you know I guess, talk back on the stand, like, why didn't you do something blaming this girl? You know, she was abused herself and scared. Well, you see what's going to happen to you. Exactly. Um, She added that Sylvia had done nothing to provoke the abuse. Randy Lepper testified that he had seen Stephanie strike Sylvia real hard after her mother had ordered her to remove the clo- her clothes in her presence. He also confessed, as he visibly smirked, that he himself beat Sylvia anywhere between 10 to 40 times. It's just like, okay, so sh- this girl is dead and you still are smirking? Yeah. On May 11th, Gertrude testified in her own defense, denying any responsibility. On May 13th, Richard Hobbs testified in his own defense, describing the process of branding Sylvia's skin. I listened to this thing where he was telling an officer or somebody about what he was doing, Mm -hmm. and he was just so matter-of-fact about it. He's like, yeah, Gertie handed me the needle, and and I didn't know how to spell it. Just, you know, he's like, I did really light strokes on her skin. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, wow, you were really kind to her. Well, looking back, he's probably just realizing how fucked up it was so again he was adamant that despite the fact that his branding caused blood to surface he uh, and and sylvia had begged him to stop that his inflictions were only light he also reported that after sylvia had died he returned home to watch tv Hmm. um when marie banaszewski was called she admitted to heating the needle that was used in the branding she also said that although many participated in the attacks it was mostly her mother and paula Mm-hmm. Another witness testified that she heard Paula openly bragging about the abuse while riding a church bus. So on May 19, 1966, Gertrude was convicted of first-degree murder with a recommendation of life in prison. Paula was sentenced to second-degree murder, and Hobbs, Hubbard, and John Jr. were convicted of manslaughter. Mm-hmm. On May 25th, Paula and Gertrude were formally sentenced to life in prison, and Hobbs, Hubbard, and John Jr. were given 2 to 21 years. So then there was a retrial in September of 1970. The convictions of Paula and Gertrude were reversed on the basis. I guess there was something said that there were um, circumstances regarding a prejudicial atmosphere during the trial, the initial trial. Hmm. So they go back to retrial on where were we in 1971 1970. the pair were retried in 1971 and paula opted to plead guilty to voluntary manslaughter which is the killing of a human being during the heat of the passion rather than the heat face of the passion for like three months exactly 
rather than face a retrial and was sentenced to two to 20 years. So now her life in prison is being changed to two to 20 years. Well, it's like, basically, they try to get you on, you know, what what they can get you on. And it's like, it's, I guess it's really hard to get a murder when she's not the one that actually killed her at the end. So the manslaughter is the, the you know, the easiest way for the defense to, to get it, or um, prosecution to get her. And then despite unsuccessfully trying to escape from prison twice in 1971, she was quoted as a model citizen, model prisoner. She was released from prison December 1972 after serving only seven years. Wow. Gertrude. Paula? Was, oh, Paula. I'm sorry. No, Gertrude or Paula was not considered the model prisoner. Oh, that was Gertrude. Gertrude was considered a model prisoner. Well, I could see how she would like just turn up the suite and be like, oh, hello, sweetheart. And mm-hmm. like, you know, just be in. Like, yeah, you know, she knows how to manipulate people. Exactly. Master manipulator. Yeah. But so anyway, Paula is the one that tried to escape twice, yet still only served seven years. Mm. I, I don't understand that. Um, so Gertrude was again convicted of first degree murder on the retrial and again sentenced to life in prison. She was a model prisoner, worked in the prison sewing shop. She was known as the den mother to the younger female inmates and was often referred to as mom. In 1985, at the time of her final parole, she had changed her name to Nadine Van Fossen. I guess it was a combination of her middle and maiden names, Mm -hmm. and described herself as a devout Christian. At the time of her parole, she continued to minimize her role in Sylvia's death, but said that she wished it could be undone. She also said, I'm not sure what role I played in her death because I was on drugs. I never really knew her. I take full responsibility for whatever happened to Sylvia. She was released from prison December 4th, 1986, after serving only 20 years. Wow. Um, And then John Jr. was 12 at the time of Sylvia's death. He served two years. That's crazy that he was 12. Like, mm, 12. And how does, he, how does a 12-year-old serve two years in prison? Like, I don't even know how that works. I don't know, but he was Indiana State Reformery's youngest inmate. I do know that. That's insane. Coy Hubbard was 15. He served two years. Richard Hobbs was 14. He served two years. Wow. So after her release from prison, Gertrude relocated to Iowa. She basically kind of just faded away to Iowa. She died of lung cancer, shocker, shocker, being the chain smoker she was, at age 61 on June 16th, 1990. She never, ever took full responsibility of Sylvia's death. And she mostly continued to blame the actions. Well, she said she takes responsibility. Well, it was all blamed on the medication she was taking. She never said it was me. It was the medications. Yeah. So Paula changed her name to Paula Pace to conceal her past. She ended up working as a school aide counselor. Oh, uh, good. Around kids. Yeah. Perfect. An aide to a school counselor for 14 years. But I guess in, she was fired in 2012. Her identity had been discovered and they placed an anonymous call to the school and they let her go. Good. Oh, and this precious angel, she's married and has two of her own children. Oh, nice. Yeah, she's special. I'll bet you she's a real treat. Of course, you know, she was pregnant during the trial. Remember when um, Sylvia and Jenny moved in, she was three months pregnant. Yeah. I guess she gave birth to a daughter. And you know what she named her? Hope. Gertrude. Oh, nice. Yeah, after her sweet mother. Yeah, definitely somebody you want to remember the rest of your life. I guess this baby had been later adopted. And the other Banaszewski children were placed in temporary foster care and eventually put in their father's custody. I guess baby Denny, of course, he was, um, you know, from another father who just skipped town. Yeah. He had been adopted into another family. That's good. Hopefully a good family. Hopefully. And then Coy Hubbard had never bothered changing his name. 
shocker here. He had been in prison repeatedly during his adult life, uh, various crimes. And then I guess in 1977, he was charged with murders of two young men. Really? Though ended up being acquitted. I wasn't sure what the circumstances of that were. But if you're capable to come and, you know, wreak havoc on a 16-year-old girl, you're capable of a lot. So it doesn't surprise me at all that this happened. No, it doesn't. It's just, you know, you would think that he'd be sorry for his, you know, what happened. And maybe... Yeah, you know, whatever happened, put it on something mental where it's just like, I don't know who I was at that time. You know, I was young and impressionable. Things happened. I'm really sorry. But no, he's still, you know, going out and, you know, obviously mentally he's going to be fucked for his whole life because this thing that he was involved in. And he, I would assume as a human being, you would feel bad, remorseful. And, you know, just a life of crime doesn't surprise me. No. Whatsoever. But he did end up dying of a heart attack at age 56. Wow. So, um, you know, not living long here because Gertrude had died at 61. He's dying at 56. And then John Jr. went by John Blake. He became a lay minister and often hosted counseling session for children of divorce. He died of complications of diabetes at age 52. Wow. Yeah. So these people are not living very long. Paula's the only one sticking around. Yeah. She's still around. Um, Stephanie's probably still around. Stephanie was never charged with murder. She changed her name to Stephanie Circustad or something like that. She had several children of her own. I guess she's still alive. Hmm. Um, Jenny, Sylvia's younger sister, she married and had two children yet remained traumatized by the events of her abuse. She died of a heart attack at age 54. Wow. And then um, Diana, you know, she was like kind of the estranged older sister. Yeah. I read a really crazy article, I guess in 2015, she was found in a rugged and remote area of an Indian reservation in California. I guess the people who found her, they were like, I have no idea how she got out here in her car. Wow. Because they were off-roading when they found her car. She had been out in the desert, lost for two weeks. Her husband at the time had been found dead in the car with her, and she was, you know... Oh, my God. So another insane situation. Yeah. Wow. She survived, but I guess, um, you know, she had to be hospitalized from severe dehydration. Wow. I guess she had been, like, collecting rainwater and cups, and that's kind of what kept her going, but her husband didn't make it. Yeah. So that was 2015. And then Lester and Benny... um, Likens, Lester and Benny, good God. Lester and Betty, mm-hmm. <laughs> Benny was one of the brothers. He had divorced, they had divorced, Betty remarried, and she died in 1998 at age 71. Um, the Banaszewski house had eventually been torn down as now a church parking lot. Lester is useless. Yeah. And, I mean, his mom. Yeah, well, I guess too. the mom wasn't in um, prison very long. She had been, you know, in prison for shoplifting. Yeah, you said she was back. Yeah, I guess once she did get released, she immediately joined Lester out on the road. Yeah. So. Oh, um, well, they had to do their Carney stuff. Yeah. So Carney doesn't sleep. Nope. Uh, that's that's it, huh? Yeah, that's the story. So the only one living is Paula. I'd imagine with all these true crime, you know, podcasts, there's several thousand of them just like ours but um it's somebody had had to have looked up paula at some point and try to talk to her i'm sure she gets calls i'm sure she gets like inundated with a lot of stuff she's a real human piece of shit she really is and um obviously somebody knows of her because they ratted her out and that's why she got fired from her job well this and there's people watching her just to make sure she's not around kids i mean although she has two of her own unfortunately God yeah, so she goes by Paula Pace, from what I heard. Yeah, if you know a Paula Pace, I mean, in Iowa or something like that? Iowa, 
yeah. That's yeah, uh, potentially the Paula. Just wait till you see her mugshot. Oh. This disgusting little smirk. So you'll make sure we post that on Instagram and Definitely. stuff as well. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. Sorry for the heavy stuff today. Yeah, sorry. It's a rough one. Yeah, that's, uh, hey, just uh, hug your kids even closer. And if you hear of any abuse out there, man, just report that shit because that's not right of whoever it is, whether it's a just a... A kid, a female, a, 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 even male, any kind of it abuse. It doesn't out matter. There. If there's abuse, you report it. Yeah, it's absolutely. Simple. If there's one thing we can learn from, from poor Sylvia, you know, God rest her soul. Exactly. And we can, we can report things and make them better, hopefully. So, and if you're listening to this and you're being abused, look, tell people, man. I know it's scary and lonely and isolating, but. I love you. I love you, whoever you are. If you're listening to this, you know, just there's, there's hope. You know, we can make things better. So yeah. reach out to someone. We'll make it better. So. All right. Well, uh, yeah. Let's uh, please you know review us so we can do some more stories here and give us five stars on Apple iTunes and all that stuff. But uh, other than that, we'll see you next time. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for coming. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.